Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. So we are in our Good Church series. Good Church series, this is week three. So we are talking about how do we intentionally form a culture of goodness based off of God's goodness. And uh, week, the second week we talked about the, we, how we resist what? Do you remember? Narcissism, but we value empathy. We resist, I'm getting the brain juices flowing, right? We resist narcissism and value empathy, okay? And so this week we're going to introduce um, another one, um, which, oh, sorry, we missed another week. What's the other week we said we, we resist, what did we talk about last Sunday? False narratives and value truth. Thank you, yes. So this week we're going to be talking about a new one. It's going to be, we resist power by fear and value grace. We resist power by fear and value grace. The culture that we are working to build here, the direction that we're going as a church, is one where we help people to feel welcome, to feel valued, to feel safe, to feel belonging. All of these things that reflect what it was like being in the community led by Jesus. And so how we do that is going to be how we pursue the goodness of God through grace. And let me tell you a story about the power of fear, because this is one that I think all of us will resonate with in one way or another. So there was a a gate checker at at an airport. And as you've been through airports and and boarded planes before, they're pretty particular about what order you're supposed to board in. One of the perks of having children was that we got to board like the first ones, which was an awesome perk, right? But normally you have to wait your turn. You have certain numbers you have to go through. and, And one person decided that they were going to jump their number and try to, to board early. Well, the gate checker, just screamed at this person, yelled at them, you know, just made them feel like cattle. And so when somebody in the group said, hey, why are you treating me like this? Why are you treating us like this? Her response was very telling. It says, if I don't follow the rules, I could get in trouble or lose my job. If I don't follow the rules, I could get in trouble or lose my job. So the experience that these people had was one where they likely will not choose this airline ever again. I don't know many people who would get yelled at by a gate checker and go, I'm probably going to go through that again because that was fun. right? Not many of us would choose that. But her response was very telling. It was telling because what she was saying in that moment, her reaction to what was happening was, if I don't follow the rules, something bad is going to happen to me. There was fear that gripped her. There was a a sense of fear of control, a fear of what would happen, the consequences of what would happen if she did not do her job just right. That she would get in trouble or even lose her job. The the life, you know, the vitals of life of having a job, the security of having a job was even threatened by not doing it well. And so she actually made people feel terrible trying to do her job well. She felt that she needed to protect herself, is what she was doing. She saw danger and felt like she had to protect herself, which really is showing us the environment that she was in, which she did not trust her leadership. She did not trust her community. That she had to say these things because she felt like she had to protect herself 
Therefore, she did not trust her leaders or her community. And she most likely lived in a culture or an environment powered by fear. Because fear is a very controlling thing. It can be very manipulating. It can be very oppressing. It can make people really get in line if you create a culture of fear by power. And what happens then is that a people group, if we are a community who is controlled by the power of fear, what it is is anxiety is the result. Anxiety is the result of a community who lives by fear because you're always afraid of doing it wrong. You guys ever been in an environment like that where you're just like, I just am too afraid of doing it wrong and so you live in a constant state of anxiety. Well, let me share with you the dictionary definition of anxiety because I think it it hits really well. And I want you just to think about times where you've probably have felt this way. So here's the definition of anxiety. Anxiety is an emotion characterized by an unpleasant state of inner turmoil, often accompanied by nervous behavior, such as pacing back and forth. That's what I do. I'm a pacer. If I'm ever having a hard conversation, I'm pacing. Somatic complaints, rumination, this just means you are like having arguments with yourself. You guys have ever had arguments with yourself about things that have happened that day because you're anxious about it? It is the, sub- it is the subjectiv- subjectively unpleasant feelings of dread over anticipated events, such as the feeling of imminent death. Unpleasant feelings of dread over anticipated events. And so cultures that are powered by the a fear or ruled by a power of fear, they tend to cause unpleasant feelings of dread for anticipated events, the uncertainties, the what-ifs of life. We always think of the worst-case scenarios in those situations, rejection, getting losing your job like this employee does at the gate check, all of these things. And, and if we are a community who is pursuing after the goodness of God, yet we are powered by fear, all we are doing is make anxious people rather than disciples. We are creating a people who are too afraid to make mistakes rather than having space for grace. So we must value grace over the power of fear. Because a church powered by fear does not trust one another. That's the problem. If we are a community of people powered by fear, or ruled by fear, we don't trust one another. We're always looking at each other like, what does this person want from me? What are they going to take from me? And you begin to clash. This is not something that reflects the goodness of God. You guys agree? This is not something that... that really points our community out into the, our, the community at large and goes, wow, this is a people who pursue goodness. These are people who actually are more afraid than we are. Which if you're God's people, I mean, we cannot be a people who are identified by fear. It causes major damages and breaks down. A few signs of, of power, fear, cultures. This is a few, not all of them, but kind of generalized symbols or, or identifiers of what fear cultures look like. One of them could be you've been shut down by leadership in the past, so now you have anxiety about approaching them. Maybe you've gone to a boss and you've just gotten reamed at work, and now you're like, well, I never want to go talk to that person again. I've had that happen. Grace is spoken of, like you hear about grace often, especially in a church context. You'll hear grace, it's a a big buzzword in Christianese, but you rarely get to see it displayed in people. 
So it's spoken of a lot, but you're trying to remember, when's the last time I actually saw it displayed by people in the church? They're kind of held out at a distance. Hey, this person made a mistake, so now they're way over here and kind of have a wall between us and them. That's not grace. You're afraid to speak against either things like leadership or community things for fear of reprisals or relational separation. Again, you have this idea of what's going to be done to me if I speak up, if I say something, what will happen? These are things we must resist because power by fear cultures destroy Christians. Fear destroys Christians. I mean, it really is one of the hardest things that we have to overcome. I think one of the the big things that is said nowadays, if you ever follow Instagram, is that it says, do not fear 365 times in the Bible. I've never done the fact check on that, but I'm going to assume it's correct. One day for every every year, or for one day for the year, it says, do not fear, because God knows how important it is that we do not completely live in fear. And if we're a community that is powered by fear and control and manipulation, we are not living by grace. You know, I'm wearing a hat today. Have you guys noticed that? And I had a little bit of a, a moment this morning while I was putting it on because as a kid, I was always taught you never wore a hat in church. I mean, my mom and dad, my mom would, would, as a kid, I mean, there was no way. I mean, nowadays she wouldn't care. If she's watching this, I forgive you, mom. It's all good. I'm not harboring any bitterness. But, you know, you hear stories of, of, of people who come into churches with hats on even, and they're judged and they're thrown out and they're just like, they're kind of made to feel like they're less than because they have a piece of fabric on top of their head. You know, and it's one of those things where it's just like, there is no space for grace and, and really, who are we modeling here? Do you, do you see the Jesus in the New Testament with someone coming up to them and he's going, hey, take that hat off. Like I, I just struggle to see that type of mentality, and it's really a, a fear culture who does that. And we have to think, who are we modeling here? As a people, who are we really modeling? Because when power by fear is wielded, especially in church contexts, we are actually modeling a Pharaoh archetype rather than a Jesus archetype. An archetype is someone who represents a, a people represents something. And Pharaoh, if you look at the study, or the, if you study Exodus, Pharaoh's name is never actually given, right? It, the, the author is not interested in telling you about the particular Pharaoh of the Exodus story. I think what he's more interested in is talking about Pharaoh as an archetype. Pharaoh represents something. He represents the human rulers who oppose God, who stand in opposition to God's heart, his character, and what he wants, if you read the story of, of the Pharaoh and the Exodus, you'll hear things about how Pharaoh uses and abuses people for his own gain. You'll read how he oppresses people and f- with fear and intimidation. You'll read about how he enslaves people rather than serves people. You read about how he places his own reputation and well-being above their own people. And so often a fear-based culture lives this way rather than, and models these types of things rather than a Christ-like model that actually opposes and goes against these things. Power by fear models, they tend to be areas where a community or a person 
becomes, and the, the kind of the standards of that person become king and rule. Un, not caring about what others have to think. And there's a reason why Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says that the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. Because as soon as a people decide, hey, we are the ultimate standard, we are the most important thing in the world, our way we believe, the way we think, this is the most important thing, and if you don't agree with this, you're out the door, we start to model Pharaoh more than we do model Jesus. Pharaohs are are cultures that spread fear by their power. If you don't line up to this, you're out. If you don't do this, you're out. If you don't think like this, you're out. People have walked away from the community of God and even Jesus because they walked through the doors and instead of meeting Jesus, they met pharaohs. They weren't good enough. They weren't, they didn't fit the right look. They didn't have the right background. They didn't, whatever it may be. They were controlled by fear, powered by fear, and they were rejected. And many of us walk into doors, especially if you haven't been to church for a long time, or maybe it's your first time, you're kind of walking in not knowing exactly how you're going to be treated, what that experience will be like. Maybe you've heard things about Jesus, and you're like, man, that sounds so good, and I want to be a part of that. And then, oof, you run into a community that is powered by fear, and you run into pharaohs rather than people who are serving the Lord. You know, my dream for this place and the direction that we're going is one that actually opposes pharaohs who looks at the the damage and the harmful things that can happen by a culture of fear and opposes that and instead pursues the way of the kingdom of God ushered in and embodied and displayed in Jesus. So what does that look like? What does the way of Jesus look like? Well, if you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you ask one question, you can ask, where are all the sinners in relation to Jesus? Where are the sinners in relation to Jesus? Are the sinners running away, terrified they're not good enough? Are the sinners hiding in shame, dreading the exposure of punishment in relation to Jesus? Are they kept at a distance, or seen as threats because of their background, what they're doing, and who they are? No, none of them are. Where are they? Well, Luke 15, 1 through 2 says this, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors, the corrupt the outcast of their own people, the sinners, the classified people. These, this, this idea of sinners, when you read the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, whatever it is, that is a class of people that have been identified as sinners. Like if you, you just accepted that as your, as your role in society, if you were classified as a sinner, the prostitutes, the, the lowest of the low of people here, those were classified as sinners by society. So when you say that, we got it. Remember, this is, a, this is a people group that are seeing Jesus and going, that's where we want to be. The corrupt are saying, that's where we want to be. And then you have the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, the, the most theologically sound. None of us will know the scriptures as well as these people will. They spent time with the Lord. None of us will spend as much time with the Lord as much as these people will. 
Not saying that these things are bad. I'm just saying these are things that they were proud of and they did well. Yet they missed the mark when it came to actually being who Jesus needed people to be. The failures of keeping up with the religious law made the Pharisees and Sadducees go, or scribes didn't even want to be associated with these people. They ousted them. They tried to punish them. In fact, they were obsessed with punishing. They were, they were so mad at Jesus for not bringing down the hammer on these people. Right? These are sinners, Jesus. Don't you realize these are tax collectors? These are traitors and people, corrupt people of your own blood. You should punish them. That's how they looked at this. Yet these were the people who were drawn to Jesus, and these were the people that Jesus protected. These are the people who Jesus stepped in and said, I'm going to step in for these people. I'm going to serve these people. I'm going to eat dinner with them, which brought about a kind of equality, a sense of belonging and value with these people. Like some of us, maybe in this room, we've given up trying to get involved in church or community because of our time of trying to share our gifts, our time of trying to share our talents or finances or whatever it is has been met with rejection, disappointment, discouragement, ostracism because we've been afraid, we've been hurt, we've been broken by power, by fear type of cultures. We just don't want to get hurt like that again. Many of us have have gone through kind of a, a hard scenario with church or community or even church leadership, pastors. I know that I represent a a position to a lot of people. I never forget the, the importance of understanding this is this is bigger than I am. That as I stand here, I represent somebody or something who may have hurt people in the past. So because of these things. We're scared to get involved. We're scared to push in. We're scared to really let our guard down again because that's what happens with power by fear cultures. Whereas Jesus, he breaks through walls. He breaks through the hurt. He breaks through the broken. He breaks through the rejection of those things have done and he draws people into him. It's an attraction that people have to him. What they experienced and witnessed in Jesus was a space for grace. What they saw and they first experienced with Jesus was space for grace. In fact, he invited in people into his grace. He gave them space for grace. He met them at the table. He sat with them. And they were transformed by him. He invited them into this powerful component of grace rather than leaving them crippled by fear and paralyzed by it. So let's talk about God's grace. God's grace is is something that becomes a pretty religious word to us, right? We say it a lot. We we use it a lot. We may even do it a lot. I know a lot of you in here are pretty grace-filled people. But to make space for grace, let's first understand what God's grace is. Exodus 34, 6 says something about God's character. He says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. This is who our God is. Compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth. And the word gracious there, the root word of gracious is the word chen. Got to really get the phlegm into it. Chen. It's fun to say. Say it. There you go. You know you wanted to. Chen. So it's translated as grace. You're gracious. 
Uh, a lot of us may have ideas and definitions of grace as this idea of unmerited favor, which I think is a good one. Favor is a good way to look at this. But it also has the idea of um, delight, which I don't think we talk about too often. You know, if you read the, in some of the Old Testament passages, the word chem is used for actually a, a delightful jeweled necklace, for example. So it has this chem idea, this delight that people see in that. We see it most often used when it comes to favor in someone's eyes. So if you read about the story of Joseph and Potiphar, that Joseph actually got chem in Potiphar's eyes. He got favor, he got grace, and it was a delightful thing for Potiphar to see. But the most impactful way of grace is when chem is given to people who have zero ability to earn it. You know, that have zero capability of, of owning it or earning it or reciprocating it is when chem is the most beautiful. It's in this sense of, of grace, which is the opposite of the power by fear like the pharaohs. You don't think of Pharaoh and go, man, what a grace-filled person. That is an oppressive, brutal force saying, hey, it's better to be feared than to be loved. The old Machiavellian idea, is it better to be feared or is it better to be loved? And that is the way the human empires and human kingdoms tend to function, is it's easier to, to put fear into somebody to control them rather than do the hard things of sacrificial love to reach people. It's kind of our natural inclination. If we want to see things get done, there needs to be intimidation and fear. And, and if you've ever worked in toxic workplaces, that it's there. Whereas grace-filled places look very differently. The definition of, of chen is when the person in a vulnerable or subordinate position or low status, remember, think of Potiphar and Joseph here, someone in a subordinate position or low status, meaning they have nothing to give back to this person, they're in a lower position, is given a gift of favor. A gift. You think of a gift, something that you didn't earn, right? Nowadays, we kind of give gifts even if you earn stuff, but this time, especially in the, in the, in the biblical text, we're really seeing gift as something as, hey, I just, I love you. Take this. Take this gift. As a gift of favor or kindness from a person of higher status. The gift is given without regard to one's worth or status and even without any sense of obligation. And this idea of grace, this definition of achen, is really what we see in the Gospels with the people coming to Jesus. These people had nothing to give. They had nothing to contribute. They, they had accepted their fate in life. You think, you think Matthew, the tax collector, is going, well, God's really going to be able to use my accounting abilities. I don't, I don't think so. He wasn't even given the treasury job. That was Judas's job, right? These people were coming to Jesus not because they were like, I have so much to offer you, Jesus. But because Jesus was saying, hey, I'm coming in. I'm going to give you a space for grace to be able to be found, to be heard, to be recognized, to be valued in a place of belonging. He says, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you back into who God created you to be by being close to me. They came with different ideas. They fought with each other all the time. I mean, the disciples were, were very human, just like us. They were like, hey, God, who's going to be in charge? And he's like, none of you guys. Just, just come along with me. Right? They dealt with all the same stuff we did, yet they were in the space of grace with Jesus. And it drew them in. 
In essence, grace brings life where the world brings death. In a world where you make a mistake and you're done, the space for grace is a place where Jesus brings in and says, hey, come with your mistakes. Come with your baggage. Come with all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the things you've been with, and we're going to work through these and be transformed by them for the good of the kingdom of God. But it starts with understanding we have to be a people who are okay with making mistakes. If we're all so afraid and anxious about making mistakes, about what could happen if we do, we're not creating space for grace. We have to be okay that we're going to step on each other's toes once in a while. We have to be okay that we're going to make mistakes. I'm going to say some stupid things in my life. Just prepare yourself. Right? Space for grace within our lives, within our communities, within our families. If you're, if you're a manager in a workplace, a huge witness to the goodness of God in your workplace is, is how you create a space for grace within your teams. You should have your teams looking at you and go, boy, this guy is so forgiving. And he brings space for grace. You think about the first time it's ever used in the Old Testament, this word, chen, is used in Genesis 6 with the story of Noah. That the, the grace that was given to Noah saved Noah's life. It brought life in a world full of fear and dread and oppression. The grace of God brought life. And that's what R.L.C. Pullman is supposed to be as a people group who bring life in a world of death. In a world where mistakes are punished severely, we should be a place that brings life and transformation through mistakes. A space that allows for those things to happen. People are drawn to people like Jesus because they experience the acceptance, they experience the value, they experience the non-judgmental attitudes that they receive in the worldly conditions that they don't see here within these communities. That we're okay with people coming in wherever they're at and we're leaving space for grace for Jesus to, to, to meet them. Because the last thing any of us ever want to do, this is what I said the first week of this series, the last thing we want to do is get in the way for people to meet Jesus. And if we have our own kind of agendas and ways of doing things and our own kind of fears and everything, what if this person comes in the doors and all these things, we're not leaving space for grace and we're staying right in the way of where Jesus wants to meet people. Because I think he can change any one of us. I mean, I, I am evidence of God's transformative power. I was a, a prodigal at 21, 22 years old who actively said I did not believe in God. I would tell people, I do not believe in God, and my life reflected that. The problem is I was very good at pretending. I was taught, had pastor's kid, so I knew all the right words. I could, I could get away with anything. I could manipulate Christianese very well to try to get what I wanted. I was a very broken and very confused young guy. And the fact that Jesus, at one point, I remember I was about 22, 23 years old, and I realized just how much I missed the community of God. And I had so much brokenness and so much sin that I, when I entered into the, a church for really the first time in probably three or four years, I remember this place meeting me and being like, it's okay to be a prodigal right now. It's okay to not have all the answers right now. 
It's okay if we just bring you in and sit you around a fire pit and discuss life with you and you're not going to rub off on us. Right? The questions I ask are not going to question people's faith because I had some tough questions about God. I had some tough questions about God that I didn't know how to get answers from and people were there to allow me to ask the tough questions and sit with me as I wrestled with them. I do not think I would be here today if not what God did through that little community when I was in my 22s, 23s, trying to get home to Jesus. They left space for grace for me. They didn't say, hey, you're not up to our standards. How dare you deny the person of Jesus in our midst? Because I did not know the answers. But these people let me wrestle with it. They were there for me. They helped me. They even disciplined me. They helped me to see that there was important ways to resist sin. You know, as we welcome people into our our communities, we need to allow them a space for grace so that we can understand them, be with them, listen to them. That's where the empathy comes in. Where they need to confess and repent, just like I had to. I had to have somebody I could go to and say, I can't believe I ever denied God. I can't believe I ever ever sat there and recognized, and, and I knew so much of his goodness and still suppressed his, his wisdom, his suppressed his, his love for me. It was this space that brought me home. It was this space for grace that ended up be, letting me become a part of God's community again. When you think about grace, one passage that comes to mind is Deuteronomy 7 when, when God is talking about Israel and why he chose Israel. And he wasn't choosing them because they were the biggest. right? They were actually pretty small. He wasn't choosing them because they were the mightiest. They were actually pretty weak. It was God's love for them alone that chose them. I love you because I love you is grace. I love you because I love you is grace. And when we see human beings walk into our community, when we see each other walk into our community and we're dealing with all the stuff that we're dealing with as human beings, is love enough to say, I give grace to you. I give grace to you. Leaving space for grace means we're leaving place for the Lord to meet them, to experience God's love for them. So let's talk characteristics of a grace-filled church. Characteristics of a grace-filled church, first one is they extend forgiveness. They extend forgiveness. And I'm not talking about this kind of cheap grace. Like we talked about last week with confession and repentance, this idea of of, of turning and confessing. And and too often, I think, um, especially Christians, we do this all the time where we're like, hey, I said I was sorry, you have to forgive me now. I don't really want to change, but you have to forgive me. That's asking for cheap grace. That's not what we're chasing after here. When people come and they confess and repent and they have authentic change, we extend forgiveness. And, and too often what I've seen is people do that, but yet they're not really, they don't really seem, seem like they're forgiven within the community. They're still held out. They're still pushed out. There's still kind of this wall against them because of things they did. That's not forgiveness either. We need to really forgive as the Lord forgive. Imagine coming to Jesus again and being like, hey Lord, I, I, I confessed and repent and I want to change and I'm, I'm done and I, for, please forgive me. He goes, yeah, sure, but you're still going to go stand over there in the corner. And that's how a lot of people are, are treated. 
in communities is that even though they've confessed and repented and they're, they're like, I'm done with this, I'm moving forward, and they're working through it really hard. I know it's difficult. Sin is a tough thing to break. If we don't extend forgiveness like God extends forgiveness, we're going to live in a fear culture. People are going to be afraid and rejected. Extend forgiveness. Extend forgiveness, giving people opportunity to change, to grow, and develop, and be discipled. That's the point there. The second one is extends encouragement. Extends encouragement. Nothing brings life more than being encouraged. This is a, this is a huge component within the community of God, is that we be an encouraging place. Be an encouraging presence in people's lives. One of the most encouraging things you can do is to listen. Like we said in, in, with the week of empathy, Listening and allowing someone to be heard is an encouraging thing. You know, finding ways to encourage one another throughout the week. Maybe it's a simple text. Hey, praying for you. Love you. Hey, let's get coffee sometime. Let's get together. Be an encouraging presence in people's lives. Those are the type of things we do. We extend encouragement. We aren't afraid to, to make mistakes. Therefore, we can make room for encouraging places. We want to walk besides people. And then the next one is we extend a helping hand. We extend a helping hand. We aren't afraid to to really get involved in people's lives. Again, power by fear cultures tends to be one where we become kind of isolated and siloed because we're afraid of what could happen if these two groups integrate or whatnot. We want to walk besides what God is doing in each other. Right? Like I do not have all the ideas for what God wants to do in this community. Don't look at me and say, hey, Kelly, what is your 10-step plan to do this, this, and this? I, I don't know. That was like, the answer in my interviews was like, I don't know what the strategic plans are. I'm not there. I don't know. You guys are there. Right? I'm here to walk, support you and be with you. I'm going to try to give opportunities for us to come together in things, but you guys know your worlds better than I do. You guys know your, your influences. You guys know your workplaces. You guys know your families. You guys know this community far better than I do. I've been here since June. This is my first time outside of not watching like a general conference in, in LDS Church for like 30 years. That's usually what we did. We watched those. And so like I don't know the Palouse very well. And so for you guys to be able to come in and say, hey, there's some great things happening here, great things happening there. I'm like, let's, how do we support you? How do we walk beside you? How do I just pray for what you're going to be doing? We extend a helping hand. We're there for one another. We support one another. And the last one is we extend the hope in Jesus. We extend the hope that's found in Jesus. That sinners are still being drawn into the teachings of the Lord. This is the the thing I think about probably the most is how do we make sure that those who are broken and isolated and ostracized, the hurting, the broken, the corrupt, whatever it is, that they still are drawn to the teachings and persons of Jesus. And then is revealed through the people of God, the people of Jesus, the church. That we are a place that people are drawn to because of the space for grace, that they have hope for transformation, that they have hope for life in a world full of death. That is the goal and the mission. Someone they are safe to run to when things are hard. Is the church a place where you feel safe to run to when things are difficult? Is the church a place that brings forgiveness and a place where you can have a fresh start, a a really living out of the new creation that Jesus talks about? Is the church a place where there's belonging and you feel valued more than any other place in the world? 
There's a church, a people who live out amongst you in the great, they, there's a people who live out the extending hope of the people that are found in Jesus. I think that's the biggest thing. Are we a people who live out the hope that we have found in Jesus? The grace that we've experienced, the forgiveness that we've experienced, the love that we've experienced and our great God, are those people extending out that into the world? And as I finish here, I'll read this last passage for you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. Because we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Tov, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So as we think about this week, leaving space for grace in our lives, for people in our lives, we first remember that we were saved by this beautiful grace and our faith in Jesus. When we said, Father, I am going to to put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. I I am putting myself into him. I am depending on him. I am putting my faith and loyalty on him. The grace of God overwhelms us. It comes from us as a gift. All we have to do is receive it. That's the most beautiful thing. We just receive it. We don't have to try to pay it back. Hey, okay, I'm going to pay you back with all the good things I'm going to do. He says, no, receive it. And then from this place of reception, we can live out the good things that God has for us. We can be his workmanship, his poema into the world. And so as we think about this, as we challenge ourselves to think about this as a community as we think about this individually I want you to to just be with the Lord this week this is your your homework is to be with the Lord this week and be thinking Lord how do I create more space for grace in my life how do I create more space for grace in my family Lord, what areas do I need to bring forgiveness to people in my life that I need to be able to to let go of the walls or the fear that I have you know write those names down in a journal or write it down on, on, on a piece of paper and say, these are the people I really need to try to find space for grace for in my life, in my church, in my family, whatever that might be. Because we need to be a people who are not ruled by fear, the what-ifs of life, but a people who have space for grace. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.